Hello and welcome to The Kurt Locker, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Kurt Russell. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode by my co-host. She also goes on these long, rambly tangents about whether high school friends could last forever or should. They're like tires, (laughs) but Whitney Nelson. (laughs) Hello. I pulled that audio for that exact clip for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Not the least of which is it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Mm hmm. Uh, Agreed. Like a like a lot of this movie, really. Mm-hmm. But I guess we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, you're giving too much away. <laughs> Sorry, we have to introduce the it was show. Tough to bury, it's tough. You know, I, I, you know, I don't always want to bury the lead, but um, this one's kind of interesting. I'm conflicted on it. Yeah. I'll say that. How about that? Okay. I am. Uh... <laughs> Why? <laughs> You'll just have to wait and find out, everybody. <laughs> I have notes. I don't know if this, I don't know if this, what we saw was locked in, but if it's not, I have notes and maybe we can make a couple changes. So there's that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's knock out some of this contact info and housekeeping as always. We will get to the main event in short order. As always, I want to mention up top, you can find our podcast, uh, this one, and many others we do at 12and24.com. That's the numerals 12and24.com. You can email us, kurtlockerpod at gmail.com, or hit us up on Twitter at kurtlockerpod. i got to be honest, I have, ne- I have deeply neglected the Kurt Locker Pod Twitter account. Um, <laughs> I, apologies if you have followed that. I will try to be better. Uh, I have neglected it because I have put a ton of time into our discord, which is where we should all be mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, that's 12 and 24.com slash discord. That's our real time chat area. We just had like a couple folks join over the past few days. It's been great slowly, but mm-hmm. surely I definitely spend more time there than I spend on Twitter at all. And I don't spend that much time on the discord, but it's way more than I spend on Twitter these days. Yeah. So. It just feels better. It's, I don't know. It's where we're at. It does feel better. Everything about it just like speaks to me more, the, the curation of a community and then it makes the mm-hmm. relationship not so parasocial. It's like, let's have an actual conversation, mm-hmm. you know? It's nice. Agreed. It's Agreed. nice. Agreed. Plus, we've got some dope ass people in the Discord. I know. It's like an it's unbelievable. It's just good conversation. Yeah. Talk about anything. Talk about anything. And then finally, if you want to support us with just a moment of your time, share the show with your friends, rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify. Bring more folks into the fray. We game the algorithm. I think, I don't, I'm not a person who often Googles myself or the projects I work on, but I think if you Google Kurt Russell podcast, I think we're now number one. So that's Ooh, great. SEO. <laughs> SEO, right. It's really yeah. hard to not rank for it because it's literally the Kurt Locker dash a Kurt Russell podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something like, it's like, what is it? Maybe if Spotify takes down Joe Rogan, we could be the number one podcast. Oh, my God. We can only hope. Should we pull ourselves from Spotify in protest of Joe Rogan? No, that would, I mean. I mean, I don't know that Spotify would care about us. I think they're way more interested in, 
you know, Neil Young than us. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm certainly not comparing us to Joni Mitchell or Neil Young, but <laughs> you know, just solidarity, you know, that's, yeah, what, that's, no, <laughs> that's for sure. For yeah. sure. Solidarity with them. But I also don't know that our, our protest <laughs> would do anything. We, we tip the scales. <laughs> It was, it was, they were, they were unsure up until us. And then they're like, well, we I mean, can't. I'm, I am for sure going to go on record and say Joe Rogan can suck it. He's oh, yeah. terrible. Yeah. We are anti Joe Rogan. I don't care for that. Uh, I don't care for that gentleman, you know, no, or his non-apology apology or whatever that, whatever that was. Or any of the hateful nonsense that spews forth from his mouth. Yeah, yeah. It's all garbage. <laughs> it's it's of all one kind or another. It's all garbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a person kind of like that in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, well, Whitney, I'm going to take synopsis if that's okay. Go for it. All right. Tell us what we're talking about. Oh man, today we're talking about the film Tequila Sunrise. The federal government swears you're doing business in here. I'm not, not here or anywhere else, and you couldn't catch me if I was trying to say that. Well, what do you think? What do you think's going on here, Well, Nick, maybe there's something me. you don't want me to know about. And how are we treating you this evening, Mr. McCusey? <laughs> what is it, Nick? You need some chapstick or something? Because your lips keep getting stuck on your teeth. Or is that your idea of a smile? Let's not discuss my business or his business or your business, okay? But that leaves us with nothing to talk about. Well, your friend is not going to get away with what he's gotten away with for 15 years. My phones have funny little noises on them. You're setting me up, Nick. So if I asked you out, maybe you'd accept. Dating is not a criminal activity, Mr. McCusick. I think your profession has clouded your judgment here. I probably have to bust my friend if I'm going to do my job. And I hate that. The plot synopsis from IMDb is... A former L.A. drug dealer tries to go straight, but his past and his underworld connections bring him into the focus of the DEA, the Mexican feds, and Mexican drug cartels. This guy gets it coming and going. He cannot catch a break. (laughs) (laughs) This movie was written and directed by Robert Town. Uh, Robert Town has written some other cool things. He wrote Chinatown. He wrote mm-hmm. The First Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. He wrote Shampoo. Mm-hmm. He wrote The Firm, which is wild. Um, but not so much, uh, not so much past the like early aughts. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he definitely has had his heyday. Yeah, yeah. And Count to Kill a Sunrise among. Among it, among those uh, other works as well. Among the haze and the days? <laughs> Potentially. I guess we'll we'll determine that <laughs> if it belongs in the haze or the days by the end of this episode. <laughs> Starring alongside Kurt R., Mel Gibson, Michelle Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. J.T. Walsh, who My is... Peak a, a, Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, uh, 100%. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer's great. She's still great now. But this is like, mwah, chef's kiss, Michelle Pfeiffer. 
Uh, we also had JT Walsh, who is he's 100% that guy. Like, you know who mm-hmm. JT Walsh is when you see him. You will not recognize the name. No, but not, a, not at all. He is extraordinarily familiar. He is the definition of there are no small roles because he mm-hmm. brings it 110% in everything the guy's in. Mm-hmm. And then rounding out the cast is Raul fucking Julia. Mm-hmm. At an 11, also. Just like in every other thing that he's ever done, just devours the scenery. He is infinitely watchable. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. It does not matter what he's doing or saying. He's playing ping Mm -hmm. pong. I'm like, it's the greatest game of ping pong I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Suck it, Forrest Gump. (laughs) Whitney. Yes. We've talked a lot about the about this movie. We've dropped a, maybe potentially a couple hints about how we might feel about it. We've danced all around it. What do uh, how the critics and the audiences, uh, maybe our listeners, what what are we thinking here? All right, so we have on Rotten Tomatoes a critical score of fifty two percent and an audience score of forty percent. So the critics liked it more than the audience in this one, which is. Really a very rarely seen occurrence on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, We have uh, critic Sheila Benson of the LA Times says, Town has acres of plot here, lashings of it. Plot so complicated and so intricate that if you're not clenched to follow every second of it, you're lost. The sheer details of what he has created finally engulf Town's handsome trio. Wow. Okay, Sheila. <laughs> if you say so. That was a negative review. That was just in case that in case it wasn't clear from Sheila's. Oh no, I get that, but also yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it, you that's know. still too much credit for <laughs> a negative <laughs> review. <laughs> Acres of plot is not a thing that I would attribute this movie is having yeah anyway okay rotten tomatoes user kevin m gives it two out of five stars and says two friends on different sides of the law head for a showdown only they're not on different sides at all so there's no showdown and this film ends feeling like coitus interruptus you think you're going somewhere but you're not it's a good looking film though huh all right kevin Uh, we Absolutely have to spotlight listener Claire's mom. Oh, who yeah. Who has watched this and written in with her opinion. All right. Which is, I think the trio was evenly matched. Fun to watch them. I can see that at the time it may not have been as good as other tongue-in-cheek films because this is pretty serious. The comedy aspect never took flight. But it wasn't really truly serious either. So for, from that point of view, it missed the mark. Michelle Pfeiffer was set up to be so tough and smart from a 21st century perspective. She's just the beautiful woman. I love you. I love you. What? (laughs) I'm with you, Claire's mom. (laughs) I enjoyed the film and I love Kurt's dimples. It's kind of hard to watch Mel Gibson these days, but I've always loved Michelle Pfeiffer. Amen. Mm Mm-hmm. Praise be. Praise be. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Whitney. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to start at the end of this film. 
if we can for a moment. Oh, okay. Spoilers for the end, everybody. I Here's the end that I want to go to. The credits. Can we start at the credits of this film? Start at the credits. Okay, yes. The credits of this film, after a very awkward freeze frame. It's so awkward. It was not... I, if you are, if you're going to end on a freeze frame, it needs mm-hmm. to be a good it needs to be a solid image to end on. So just if you haven't seen the movie, the freeze frame image is two people that were tongue kissing. Yes. But also were walking while they were tongue kissing and are starting to pull apart. Right. And that's when it freeze frames. It does not freeze frame on the kiss. It does not freeze frame on them, like, looking adoringly into one another's eyes after the kisses. They're walking off into the sunset. It's, like, halfway as they're pulling apart from the kiss, and their, like, mouths are agape, and it's very weird. (laughs) Just to put you in the mindset of this freeze frame. Listeners might know, Whitney, you also may know, I do video editing for a living of all, all manner of projects and brands and all sorts of shit. And that freeze frame looked like what I experience on a day-to-day basis as I'm just randomly pressing the space bar to start and stop as I'm reviewing clips. Often I'll stop on like a terrible, like an otherwise gorgeous person, but just Mm -hmm. in the, like in between frames of like moving from a smile to resting face or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so (laughs) that's what that frame reminded me of. Yeah, it literally was freeze framed like at a random moment for no reason. That's not even what I wanted to, I mean, that was, that was something, but the credits themselves go like this. Generally credits these days, and I don't know if there are contracts in place that, you know, dictate a lot of how credits roll these days, but more often than not, you start with maybe the director and then you move into the executive producers and then you go to like your lead actors and they might Mm -hmm. get a special Um, stylized treatment for that part. And then it'll just go to the standard scroll, right? Mm -hmm. This one goes right into the scroll and I'm going to list the credits for this movie. I will admit this is going to be a surprise to me because I stopped at the awkward freeze frame and did not watch any, not one second of credits. Perfect. All right. I got up and walked away. So what, what are the first people credited? I think you're going to love this. It starts Mm -hmm. off regular enough okay we get first ad's okay first assistant director oh i'm Mm -hmm. on board sure second assistant director okay great these are Mm -hmm. these are the people that actually do the work in movies (laughs) yeah my stepmom used to be an ad so i am well aware of how much work goes into being an ad it's ridiculous then we have the art director okay again okay i'm on board sure Now comes the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. There is a massive space in the credits, right? It's the, it, it literally the art director is rolling off of the screen and what appears next? Saxophone solos. Well, okay. (laughs) That should be the first person credit. I have never seen that before. There, I've certainly music and I mean, score 
And I was more engaged by those sweet, sweet saxophone licks than a lot of the rest of the movie. Right. Okay, but then that person jammed hard. They did on the saxophone. After saxophone solos, yes, another huge space. Huh. Then guitar solos. <laughs> it was just one title, one name for each, and they got. I mean, between the t- these two people. It was 30 seconds of credits. <laughs> I was like, okay. You might be wondering, listener, if you haven't seen it, uh, how could they, how could they, how could they do this? I have, uh, I have an example of a song from this film mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, yes, I'll play please. it right here. And you just let me know if you believe this is uh, worthy of 30 seconds of credit space. I mean, it might be, I don't know. You tell me. I think it is. Oh, Nick, I'm sorry. I really shouldn't be like that. Mm, yeah. Mm. I mean. Can you play the saxophone like that? I don't think so. I can't. No, no. <laughs> Uh, I counted at least four times that the movie cut to a song that sounded a lot like that, which almost identical to that. Yeah, no, it was very like jammy. Yeah, I, it was you know, not like songs. I would describe it as a little beginnings porny. and ends. I, you, like I don't know. Did, sure. Did you get that vibe as well? No. No, I mean, you're not wrong, but also. I think it was more like just lounge jam sex than it was porn sex. I mean, it certainly was a vibe. It went hard. It did. I feel like we had, I feel like we had something like this in a Keanu movie that we covered too, where the score was just operating on a level. Mm -hmm. I, I remember that as well. I don't remember which movie though. Yeah. So uh, it's been known to happen and it happens quite frequently in this film where you're like, what is going on with the music here? And clearly they had a huge budget for saxophone solos and guitar solos. So I guess so. So Whitney, I just wanted to get that out of the way. I mean, Mm -hmm. we could touch on it again if you, if you know, music is your bag for this one. Uh, But overall, did this movie work for you? No. <laughs> what happened? Where did it go wrong? I don't know. It was all nonsense. Yeah. Like nothing happens. I mean, like stuff happens. But for what is set up in the very beginning and in the like bio and in the sort of pretext of the story, uh, like that Rotten Tomatoes reviewer said, that like you're set up for a certain thing where you expect someone to be a double agent or it to be actiony and there's there's gunplay and there's drugs and there's boats and whatnot but really nothing happens yeah and so you you get set up for a movie that sort of 
moves and go goes places and they think they're moving and going places but in reality like nothing is happening at all uh-huh. the yeah the thing that bothered me most about this movie and there's a lot of toxic masculinity and Michelle Pfeiffer is set up to be really a truly incredible character at the very beginning and immediately as soon as the men get involved in her life she turns into like a simpering idiot yeah but this whole movie is about friendship and about the bonds of friendship and being friends in high school and how that means that later is career rivals you can't shoot one another and whatever but there's a third best friend that we do not have talked about or referenced or see until they appear as like a wharf manager. <laughs> He's not even a lifeguard. Yeah, he manages. But then in yeah. the movie, they're like, this guy is just as good a friend as either of the rest of us. And he's got his life figured out because he's not involved in crime in not one way or the other. And it's like, he's in the picture of them in high school. And it's like, he's been here the whole time as a third best friend, but he is not mentioned for the first two thirds of the movie. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, here, I'm on the radio with the boats. I know where people are in the wharf. And it's like, no, you can't just, no, you can't just be here now and also be as important as everybody else. Right. Where, that where made were me so you? mad. Where were you? Especially because he also talks in like a monotone and is completely unfazed and unbothered by all of the drama happening around him when it theoretically involves his best friends. Yeah. He's very chill about all of this, even though potentially someone's getting arrested or someone's dying or, you know, there's a drug bust or whatever. He's just like, I don't know, man, another day at work. He's a Pier 17. Let's, <laughs> let's go put up some warning signs for the fishermen. I love I love a You, you love a Cavalier character. You know, <laughs> you love it. Um, I also agree with Claire's mom in that it's hard to watch Mel Gibson these days. I never liked Mel Gibson. I'm going to come out and say it way before any of the like Mel Gibson stuff that was, you know, called out in public. Yeah. I've just always found him smarmy. Mm. Never really my bag. I'm not going to say that he's not a good actor because... Anyone who liked him in anything, I'm like, sure, yeah, okay. But I never got it. I never got it long before DUIs and anti-Semitism and racism and all of the nonsense that he pulled later in his career. Yeah. For me, Mel Gibson being in a movie meant I was likely to not like it. And that's still the case. (laughs) This axiom holds true. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. This movie didn't change anything. But this is maybe the most likable I have ever found, Mel Gibson. Um, Hmm. I still don't like him. And I still think it's kind of hard to watch him (laughs) because he's smarmy as an actor and he's a shitty person as a person. Yes. Uh, But I do think that this is the most that I've ever liked him. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer was great in the beginning. She starts out incredible and just so smart and on the ball and together and she's great, but then she immediately falls apart as soon as there's a man. Mm. And I hated that. And Kurt Russell's character is just a jerk. He's just a blowhard jerk. 
And he's not even getting anything out of all of his, like, double talk and deceit and pitting people against one another. He's like, I mean, I guess he's in charge of L.A.'s drug crime unit or whatever now as a lieutenant. But, like, he doesn't get anything. And you don't make that much money as a lieutenant, even in L.A. Hmm. I don't know. It was the kind of stuff that you see for, like, people when they're, you know, committing fraud and the SEC is investigating them and they're like a hedge fund person or whatever. Like, that's the kind of machinations that he has going on. Yeah. And it doesn't really make any sense because uh, he's not getting anything out of it or he's not getting enough out of it, in my opinion. So no one's super likable in this movie, even though you have three incredibly high powered actors in these roles. Okay, but what about Raul Julia? I mean, he's incredible. Very likable. He's a gem. (laughs) He's very likable. He is by far the most charismatic person on the screen, which is crazy when you consider the other people that are the main figures in the cast. But also it's real Julia. It's true. I needed him earlier in the film and I needed more of him, but not as his fake. Correct. A Mexican uh, fed. I needed him as Carlos. We did not need him as like a federale. We needed him as Carlos. Where he was excellent. (laughs) Truly, truly excellent. I did really like the only part of this movie that I liked is the scene with Raul Julia and Mel Gibson in the boat at the very end. Where there's like a double cross and a double cross and then guns pulled and then a fight and then they're like wait no but we're good friends i shouldn't do this and then they shoot each other and then it's like oh shit man i I can't believe i shot you we're really good friends and like that whole scene to me was both very funny and also very um it was the most engaged i was with the movie the whole time because of this whole sort of i don't know it it felt very like waiting for godot-esque yeah to me this sort of like study in friendship but also you're both in crime but you know and shooting one another but not wanting to shoot one another and planning to backstab one another but then not doing it and being like man we should just get out of this game and the whole thing was very funny and very touching and also very well acted and that was by far my favorite part of the movie yeah i can get behind that i was i was pretty much i i had that in my notes too i was like why is this the best Uh, Why is this the best part of this movie that has so many discrete elements that could be great, right? Mm -hmm. But And and it's like this single conversation, I was like, wow, Uh, almost enough to almost enough to bring me bring me back. (laughs) Almost. Mm -hmm. Not quite, but almost. So it sounds like you 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 loved it start to finish. Mm, No. Yeah. No, it did nothing. Okay. <laughs> the movie did nothing and it did nothing for me. Okay. All right. And it's full of toxic masculinity. I would I would say at least it was short, but it was also like 2 hours long. <laughs> yeah, it was it wasn't though. <laughs> it was longer than that, it needed to be. That, that would have been a sweet 75 minute movie. Yeah. Oh, 100%. There were so many scenes where they go back to the restaurant. Uh, to hit us over the head with what is going to be happening next. And it was just like, 
just show us what's going to happen next. You don't have to tell mm -hmm. us what's about to happen in Honestly, five Honestly, after that first scene in the restaurant with the sand dabs, we did not need to go back there again. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty straightforward. It feels pretty straightforward to me. I did like the the Kurt Russell walking in and being like, oh, this is why you're here all the time. And that's yeah. the intro to Michelle Pfeiffer. And like, I thought that worked. And I thought that really was the only thing in the movie that made them seem like friends. None of the rest of the movie did they actually have any camaraderie or any feelings towards one another or anything that made it seem like they were lifelong friends who didn't want to betray one another that scene they felt like friends yeah I, yeah i would uh, i tend to agree with you on that one that that, that tracks so, that tracks but then we spend like 100 extra minutes in the restaurant outside of that scene <laughs> right the whole movie should have taken place inside also of we needed zero of Mel Gibson's son. And I know that that was meant to be sort of a humanizing element for Michelle Pfeiffer to see him as in the dad role. But like the birthday party, we saw so much of a birthday party that did we did not need to see. All yeah. we needed to see was like a bunch of kids in balloons and a happy birthday surprise thing. And that's it. Obviously, Carlos is not there. This is not the drug party we thought it was going to be. Right. You're like, oh. And then it goes on for like another... 15 minutes of kids birthday party and magicians doing things with eggs and it's like what why are we here what is happening and then like, we watch the kids surfing in a competition we didn't need to see any of that he noggin. breaks his neck on the pier <laughs> it literally shatters several of his vertebrae he's fine kids he's bounce in back. a neck brace we don't need to see any of that we don't need to see any. I mean, I sort of enjoyed the kid finding the magazine on the bedside table and calling the restaurant and asking for her and having her come over to make angel hair pasta and getting rid of the babysitter so that she would come watch him. Yes, I did kind of like that, but also it had zero relevance to the story or the movie and slowed everything way down. Yeah. I understand that they were trying to make Mel Gibson a father and a caring guy and a nice guy. So in spite of his drug past, he's a person that a woman like Michelle Pfeiffer can fall in love with. I understand that that was the point, but I don't think it achieved that point. And I think it added an extra 27 minutes to the movie that didn't need to be there. Yeah, I could get 27 a, is hyperbole. I don't know how many minutes it actually was. Too many. 27 could have too easily been cut. I feel. I feel like at least 27. I think like 40. <laughs> it's my it turns out my biggest criticism about movies today is also my biggest criticism about movies always. Mm. <laughs> more mm -hmm. editing, more. Mm -hmm. More. Yes, please. Trim this shit down. Yes. We're not here for a life story. Here to be entertained. Right. Gotta we gotta wrap this shit up. I got stuff. Get to, in. I got stuff to do. Get out. I got podcast notes I gotta put together. Let's go. Let's <laughs> fucking go. Uh this is a big conversation that's happened in the Discord. Uh 
just for everyone who's not in the Discord, oh, yeah. uh, about the new Batman movie and the runtime for the new Batman movie and how the runtimes of the Batman movie make me want to turn into a supervillain <laughs> a la Batman movies because I am incensed by how long the new Batman movie runtime is. And then Andrew posted something about they wanted to make it a four-hour movie. Yeah. And I wanted to throw up and murder everybody. Yeah. It was, um, that's a lot of Batman. That's a lot. And I, I say you this You know is, what we don't need? Yeah. Three hours of Spider-Man. And you know what I love? Spider-Man. Right, I'm exactly. I'm into Spider-Man. And all of the content that's come out from Spider-Man lately has been extraordinarily good. I don't need that much, though. Like, let's, let's be concise. You know, I, I it took me three sittings to get through uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And that only had just a little bit of Batman in it, <laughs> you know? So uh, I still don't think I finished The Irishman, to, to put it in perspective. You know what I'm saying? So I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I, just less. Less is more. Less? We know who Batman is. I don't need four hours. I don't need it. No one does. No one does. No one needs four hours of anything that's entertainment. <laughs> Our podcasts, we try to keep them 90, like a tight yeah. 90, sometimes less. Sometimes we go over, we apologize at the end of those episodes, but they're they're if, fun. If you elect to play four hours of a video game or watch four hours of television or read four hours of a book, that's fine. But no one needs to be forced into four-hour sittings of anything. I was saying, I was suggesting this, that if they, if the studios want to introduce four-hour movies as a regular thing, which it seems like they want to, based on this news, then we need to bring the intermission back. A hundred percent we need to bring the intermission back. I was just talking about this. Yeah. I cannot, and obviously... We anticipate movie theaters still being a thing in the future, even though pandemic stuff has sort of put that into question. Yeah. But what keeps movie theaters running is concessions. So you know for a fact that the movie theaters to make their money because they're not making it on your movie. No, not even close. The exchange process of getting your movie shown in a movie theater is you know that people have to buy concessions. So they are giving you like a gallon of soda and you are forcing me to not leave my chair for two hours and 90 minutes or whatever. No, I'm done. Bring back the intermission. The intermission was like such a get up stretch. Yeah. Go to the bathroom. It respected the audience. They don't respect the audience anymore. And I think that's part of why it makes me so livid. <laughs> is we, I mean, we've always been a commodity. The audience. Yeah. But we have been commoditized to the point where, like, we are not respected. And that's what bothers me. Now, this is coming from a perspective of, you know, I started working restaurants when I was 15. Yeah. I did food and beverage my whole life, so I come from a very turn-and-burn mentality. But you could watch three movies in a movie theater and pay three ticket prices instead of watching one Batman. 
Why are they not doing that? <laughs> if someone wants to have a night out and your mi- movies are all an hour and 20 minutes, maybe they watch two movies. Double feature. Maybe they watch three movies. Yeah. You pay more money and you get more movies in the theater and you can get more audiences per movie per day. I, like just from a money perspective, the the turn and burn makes sense. I don't understand being like, let's keep them in here for half of the daylight hours. <laughs> They're the not so day. much moviegoers as they are our hostages. Uh... Exactly. <laughs> It basically is just saying, fuck you, we don't care about you or your life or what you have to do outside of this. And it makes me mad. I get it. I'm right there with you. I would love the intermission to return if if this is the way of the world. If this is the way things continue to go and we're in movies for two and a half to three hours, as it seems, no, that seems like the way. 90 minutes. Yeah. Well, I mean. Just 90 minutes, people. Yeah. That's what I want. I want 90 minutes. We build it we build it in. If it goes over, we build in the intermission. Like the ed, like yeah. I don't want the I don't need the movie theater to decide. I want the editor of the film to say, here's here's you know like mm-hmm. how prestige television might end on a cliffhanger. Cut right at mm-hmm. a cliffhanger and be like, yeah. "Oh shit, but- I'm going to stretch. I'm going to get some more uh, pretzel nuggets with cheese. Do you cheese? know how hype the audience would be if they all had ten minutes to talk about how crazy that was and what they what's going to happen? Bl- what's going to happen next? <laughs> we could put Maria Menounos back up there for ten minutes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let's yes. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so tequila sunrise. <laughs> Tequila Sunrise. Uh, I have a couple things that I, I want to say about this movie. I'll, okay, great, because I've said everything I have to say about okay. it. Okay, <laughs> I'll keep this pretty short. Um, here are some things that I wrote in my notes. My, my final note of this movie, uh, my final note that I wrote, and this is probably, oh, I guess I wrote this after the freeze frame. I said most awkward freeze frame ending ever. And then after it, I wrote, this movie is so fucking wild. Uh, but not in like the wild, like, I can't believe they did all this stuff, like more in the, how does this movie actually, how did this, how did this exist? Here are some things. Uh, at around the one hour and five minute mark, a cat gets um, pet with a box of angel hair pasta. Mm-hmm. Inexplicably. Inexplicably. And okay. So the cat's very cute. It is. There are many cats behaves, in this movie, actually. It behaves very well, so I understand them holding on it, if only from the perspective of, like, holy shit, this cat is doing exactly what we wanted it to do. Yes. <laughs> from, like, a crew perspective, it's like, oh, my God, it's working perfectly. Right. Um, but. It's so much time. Mel Gibson is long gone from the scene and we're still watching the cat like walk in circles on top of the garbage can lid. Yeah. You got to kill your darling I'm, sometimes. Like I'm I'm right there with you. It's a very cute cat and it did react exactly the way it was supposed to to be a prop in that hey Michelle Pfeiffer is here because there's angel hair pasta box. <laughs> right. It's- Although also it's wild to me that while she's babysitting his son like unprompted 
and she made him angel hair pasta that she also took out the trash. Like, how much time do you have in a day? Because she's also getting ready for work. I just find it unlikely that the angel hair pasta box would actually be outside in the trash and not inside somewhere on a countertop <laughs> or in the inside trash can. Yeah. It was <laughs> That's just unlikely. It's a lot. You know, I, I don't know what to say. She's she's perfect in this movie. She's a perfect person. I, it's just that's the way it is. <laughs> um, this movie has a vibe that I like, but the execution is deeply flawed for all the reasons we have discussed. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It could have been a really cool heat scenario, Michael Mann's heat scenario. Like, you know, you have your, you have best friends, not maybe not best friends in the case of heat, but a cop and a crook who are aware of each other and know each other and know how similar they are, but there's just a line that divides them. Uh, and none of that is explored here, which is a shame. Yeah. I also think that you could have gone a sort of a, a BFF route, a like Bill and Ted route, but then added in the crime elements yeah. and how the world was pulling them apart and pitting them against one another. And they don't do that either. They sort of bring it up as a pain point and a major like plot element, but then they don't really go either way with it. Yeah. It's, it, it, it doesn't pay off in either direction. And so you're left, you know, like our, our reviewer, like coitus interruptus. It's like nothing. It, it amounts to exactly nothing overall. Also, there's a moment when, when Raul Julius shows up as Carlos where it would have been the most mind-blowing thing that's happened in a film in a long, long time if Michelle Pfeiffer was the the leak and not the cousin. Yes. If you had had her actually double agenting the whole time, even though she's like, despite what you guys think, I'm not a good secret agent. I don't even know what your first name is. If she was actually using both of them to like make money being a stool pigeon for the FBI, that would have been an incredible twist. And it was set up to perfectly happen. Yes. That's kind of what I, th I mean, like, you know, I'm, I I'm not always thought it was going to happen and then it didn't. Yeah. I'm not always thinking ahead. I don't, I don't want to like be ahead of the movie unless the movie like tell, like gives me that leeway necessarily. Like if a movie lets me know something that the characters don't know, then great. I'll make a couple guesses, but that's just, that seemed like, of course this is how it's going to go, right? <laughs> but then they're like, no, it's this Federale. You're like, mm -hmm. okay, I it's, it's Raul Julia. That's fine. He likes I mean, I like pong. Raul Julia being the, the, f the Mexican government official and also the big drug dealer. That's okay. But they still had someone who was giving the stupid fed his information and getting paid like $1,100 a week for it. Yeah. And the cousin had like no part in the movie and was a garbage role. Didn't do anything for the actor. Didn't do anything for the story. Didn't do anything for me. Like it just was not wildly unnecessary as a character or plot point. The cousin being the 
the snitch. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having someone be the snitch, like you could still have Ro- Raul Julia be the double agent and have the snitch be a twist. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It was it, that that part was it was all they could have condensed it down and just used the people we had, uh, you know, on the board, as it were. And I think that would have been a more some more effective storytelling. But hey, you know, whatever. Um, There were some I want to say a couple things about how this movie looks. Actually, let me just back up and say that hands down, Raul Julia is like the best part of this movie. Right. And when I was watching him, I was like, you know who he reminds me of, like as a like, you know, um, rest and rip Raul, you know, um, a modern day equivalent uh, of Raul Julia, I think, in terms of like a person who walks on screen and instantly captivates you would be Javier Bardem. In my humble opinion, I don't know if everyone feels the same way, but I think that false false. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why? I cannot get behind that. Really? Yeah. Well, that's okay. I just don't like Javier, but I'm like that. <sighs> okay. He's in like my favorite movie of all time. So it's, it's, uh... I'm not saying that he's a bad actor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm suggesting that he's a bad actor. No. How about how about just... this? I got I had two. I had two. I went with Javier Bardem because I have a personal stake, but I have another actor okay. and I had another actor in mind. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah, go, shoot. Oscar Isaac. Yes. Okay. I, I knew it was more yes. Although Oscar Isaac doesn't go as over the top. It's true. But the range, I think, that they yeah. can that I uh I believe Raul Julia in this, and I also believe him as M. Bison in Street Fighter. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. Oscar Isaac has a similar range, I think. I, it, like I believe him in whatever he's in. So that's kind of how I was feeling about that. I think of him more, Raul Julia specifically, is more of like an Emma Stone for me. Oh, okay. I think that it's a little bit more, I mean, talented, obviously. But I think it's a little bit more charisma based. For me, and I definitely think it's more Javier Bardem does like grim very well. Yeah. And Oscar Isaacs just kind of plays every man very well. And I think Emma Stone is more that range of like every man, but also funny and comedic, but can also do the serious stuff. I, I think... That's for me a better like equation. That tracks. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Love her. I'm definitely not saying Javier Bardem is a bad actor because I would never say that. I just he doesn't do it for me like Ro Julia does. I would if Ro Julia is a credit in a movie, it is ninety percent more likely that I'm going to watch it than if Javier Bardem <laughs> is a credit in a movie. Understood. Understood. I get it. I want to talk a little bit about the cinematography, which we haven't touched on. This movie has a really, uh, overall, I would say this is nothing spectacular, Mm -hmm. but there are some shots that are ridiculously good looking in this movie. And it makes me wish, uh, like I wrote 43 minutes, like around the 43 minute mark, there's like an incredible shot into the sunset. When we are, some of the scenes in the restaurant, 
when we're at the bar are lit in such a way mm-hmm. that it's like very, mm-hmm. what this movie is trying to be is like a noir. It's like mm-hmm. trying its hardest to be a noir. And I'm going to play a clip in a second that <laughs> really uh, where they were like going for it, uh, but it falls flat. It, like nothing about it ends up being noir, but that's clearly everybody's like foundation that they were building off of. Yeah. But it, it fails that in literally every aspect. It is not a noir and it does not succeed. But I definitely th- agree with you in that. I think that's where they were coming at it from. It's so on the nose. Like even some of the dialogue, like it's like the exchange between Michelle Pfeiffer and Mel Gibson in the restaurant for the, I don't know, like what specific time it was, but like she, he's like, well, my lawyer is your lawyer. And what? So they weren't in the restaurant for that. They were in his house. Right. And then she was like, well, why? He was like, well, I just wanted to see if maybe you and me could. And she says something like, you don't need a lawyer for that. Dating isn't a criminal activity. And you're like, Mm -hmm. what the (laughs) fuck? That is an impossible line. That that is is an impossible line. It has in no way was he thinking or implying that. Yes, it's it literally was about I wanted to look better to you. Yes, that's it. So I took our person in common and used them to like as a way to maybe look better to you. Yes, to just get closer to you. Like we have a common friend. That's it. Right. And she was like, you've been in the criminal mindset too long. And it's like, this is not Chinatown, Jake. (laughs) That's not what's happening here. (laughs) So I'm going to, so, all right. So one thing play it. Yeah. If they shot the, if this movie, if this was a, uh, uh, today, if it was a today movie, right. Again, I think there are many elements here that could work. They would need to be like, like maybe almost a complete rewrite. You probably wouldn't call it to kill a sunrise, <laughs> right? Like it's a new, no, they would not be a reboot. It right. would be a new movie. It, but yeah, if it, it the the goal based on what they want to do is you could get the actors to do this because clearly the direction was like noir, right? Like B, I don't know what their reference was, mm-hmm. but like noir. So you have to shoot this like drive or uh, bad mm-hmm. times at the El Royale. Like you have to do like the, you have to go hard. But I think if this movie's visuals. Oh man, this would be so good as drive. Right? Like, like- in the style of drive. Yeah, just like like that neon drenched, like this movie mm-hmm. should have taken place completely at night. Like mm-hmm. if if that, if this, like the vibe that they're going for, and I thought that's what they were going to do because the movie starts off with like a drug deal at night. And I was like, great, we're going to get some LA at night, <laughs> you know, situation. And no, it's like most of the movie is like broad daylight. And I, I was like, this is very off-putting. I don't care for this. Here... <laughs> Here is the, the the line. So you uh, listeners, you remember um, the music that played. The music fades out. Yeah, and, the heavy sax. Yeah, and it, it, this voiceover, you can actually hear a little bit of it in the background. This is an actual line from this movie. Whitney, I need you to tell me who is speaking this line, first of all, because it's not Kurt or Mel Gibson, but Mel Gibson is on screen while this line is happening. Here it is. 
I don't know what it is about going to high school with someone that makes you feel you're automatically friends for life. Who says? Who says friendship lasts forever? We all like it to, maybe. But maybe it just wears out like everything else, like tires. There's just so much mileage in them, and then you're riding around on nothing but air. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Like tires. Like tires. <laughs> Obvi. <laughs> it needed like I it was just like the placeholder. That's the cousin, by the way. The cut co- that was the, the cousin? The cousin who's the informant. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that's not 100% the first draft. On that. That's a first draft. That is, that's not what you go with. I don't understand. Um, that's it. That's all I got. I mean, I wish, I wish, uh, this was a better movie. <laughs> that was my wish at the end. Andrew, I wish a lot of the movies that we've watched have been better movies. <laughs> it's, it's the classic thing where it's like, I, I mean, that literally, that line literally brought me to tears. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Um, I, it's that thing where like, there's something good here. It's like, it, it's there, but the, it, it's like, um, when you talk to like a sculptor and they look at a block of marble and they're like, when I, when I saw it, I knew what it was. And then it's just a matter of chipping away until it becomes what I saw. Right. And this, the, he, he, I, I don't know if the, the vision was misrepresented or, he just stopped carving halfway through. Like, I can't tell mm-hmm. what happened, but like, yeah, it was so close to being something compelling and it just fell flat. You know, while you were talking, just one more thing that bothered me. Yeah. I have one more thing to get off my chest. Air the grievances. Let's go. Yeah. The scene where Kurt Russell flies off the handle at the FBI agent and he's like, don't tell me to manufacture evidence and don't camp out in my office and I'm don't grow weeds in my own backyard yeah. or pull them or whatever. <laughs> that was so out of nowhere and in no way served the story. And I don't know if they were, if they at one point, like one draft in the script, were trying to make him more of a hothead who like flies off the handle more often or is like very emotional or or what the deal is. I also don't know if they were trying to because in the end it turns out that he was pitting literally everybody against everybody else and lying to every single person around him the whole time. Yeah. So maybe it was a sociopathic manipulative thing where he knew he would get the right reaction out of the FBI agent by storming into a public room with other people in it and saying those things. But they don't make it clear that that's what's happening either. And so in the end, it just, there's one scene where he gets really mad for like no reason and then is fine the rest of the movie. And it really feels like one of those things, like what you were talking about kind of brought it up to me in my mind of 
it feels like there were multiple drafts of this script. Yeah. And they like took scenes out of each of the multiple drafts and like pasted them together. <laughs> they, they sent like eight people to write the same movie. And then they took a scene from each of those eight people and made the movie out of them. Kurt and there's gets just V2. things that like. <laughs> Michelle gets V4. <laughs> yeah. And I just don't know like how it happened. But to me, it speaks to some sort of conflict between writer and director or writer director and studio or producers and studio or like something like I feel like the movies where we've had this almost didn't go or we recast the director and like changed everything midstream or those sorts of things. This movie feels like one of those because of those random moments that don't make sense, especially considering that whether you like the films or not, this director has put together a lot of other films that are very tight and concise and focused. Yeah. Even if they're not your bag, they like, they make sense. They have a theme, they have a vibe and they make sense. And this one doesn't. And I don't know why that is. You know what? But there's a lot of those moments that just feel like they've been cherry picked out of like a whole other movie. I feel, Oh, you know what? I think we, I think mm-hmm. I just figured it out, Whitney, because we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. He uh, he directed it as well, as well as writing it. Yeah. So that, but none of the other films that we know him for has that Have been him the case? as both. Yeah, he's always been yeah. the writer before, not the writer director. So this one, there was no director outside of him to like edit down or focus the script. Correct. Yeah. I think that's it. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a real, um, nobody there to tell you no, you know, that's the, I mean, that's consistently, we've come across that many times. The no one there to tell you no is a big problem in movies. Yeah. It's a collaboration. You gotta be able to, that's probably why there's like a 30 second clip of a cat fucking around in this movie. Like, Maybe that was his cat, you know? <laughs> like, it is a really good cat, though. It is a good cat. I'll just, it's a great cat. And the cat does very well. Whoever's cat that was, kudos. <laughs> it's a very excellently trained cat. Uh, yeah. It did It did exactly, exactly 100% what it was supposed to do in a way that's very hard to train a cat. <laughs> like, it just was an amiable cat yeah. who played along. They tend to be temper- more, much more temperamental than that. And <laughs> that cat crushed it. Good job, cat. Well, or more focused. Cats can be trained to do tricks and they do very well when they're like movie cats trained to do tricks. But they're also not as just sort of casual wandering around sniffing things being scratched like this cat was. It was usually they're more like I have to hit mark A and do trick B. And that's all that they focus on. This cat was very... Yeah. Someone's like, Rob, hey Rob, there's a there's a cat here. <laughs> and he's like, fuck it, let's just put it in. The- <laughs> let's go. It's nobody's cat. It was just like random cat. And he was just, oh, yeah. yeah, studio cat. Let's go. Studio cat. Keeping the my side of the sound stages. <laughs> okay, so anyway, if you like cats, it's a good cat. Yeah, you could skip to around, uh, what did I have here? Like around the 110 mark, somewhere in there is going to be where uh, you see this cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, 
I didn't, I didn't, I think we both already discussed it, but just, it's just so it, I put a period on the sentence. I thought Kurt was like fine in this, but not great. And certainly not the person who had my attention most of the time. So nope. if it was, if Raul Julia, it like the order of operations, it was like Raul, Michelle, and, and then Mel. I guess like, yeah, Mel and then Kurt. I thought Mel was more compelling than Kurt in this one. Yeah. And that's weird for me to say because I don't like Mel Gibson. Yeah. It's just a weird, it's just like a weird character. Like we've seen him, we will, we have, and we will see him play like this kind of cop authority figure. And he's done it much better before and since. So, you know. Yeah. I mean like a double crosser. Sure. Uh, like a hard ass stick to the laws kind of person. Sure. He's done all of that. He's also done like best friend, charming, amiable guy, but like none of those played as well in this movie as they do in other movies. Yeah. Which, um, you know, which leads me to ask a brief moment of, is he hot in this one? If you just want to know what movies is he pretty in, that's a heavy burden for me alone to bear. Maybe just his character in the last one bugged me enough that I didn't think he was as dreamy. He's very dreamy in this film. Is he hot in this one? I just realized I could definitely take the music from this movie and put it under your voice here. Oh, for and sure. And it would work maybe better. For sure. So yeah. I'm gonna I might give that a try. <laughs> but Whitney. I thought we had talked for an hour and we were not gonna hit this point. Uh, I definitely thought I was getting out of this one. Uh no, we need to know. Cause he's this is a uh different character and that a character mm-hmm. often factors in for you. Uh, into the the, the, yes. the hotness, the dreaminess, and mostly in a suit, I guess. Mostly mm-hmm. in you know a detective type attire. So, what do we think? Slick back hair. What are we thinking of Kurt in this movie? Um, in a binary yes or no, is he hot? The answer is yes. Okay. Uh, but just barely. Really, like a you know gradients, shades of gray kind of scale. He's definitely. I don't think the slicked hair works for him. Mm. I think a, a huge part of Kurt Russell's charm is his very luxurious hair. Whether it's mullety or not, it's always luxurious. <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely agree with Claire's mom. His dimples are are charming, and they are on fleek in this movie. Um. And he definitely, when he's trying to woo Michelle Pfeiffer and Michelle Pfeiffer is being sassy back in that first dinner. Yes. And his like reactions, very, very attractive. Most of this movie doesn't really do it for me. Mainly because he's in that, that like nowhere land of what is this character? And he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. I also don't think the suits in the slick back hair suit him. I think that at this time in his life, though, he's just a very attractive gentleman. So I think yes or no, the answer is yes. But when you're putting it on a scale of like one to 100, he's definitely like 55, 60. 
He's just tipping over into that yes category. I think that's very well put. Mm-hmm. I agree with you as well. The thing that I like about Kurt generally, I mean, and again, of course, he's a very, very good looking dude. Like we're not, you know, really. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that the average of when we're done with all of Kurt Russell movies, the is he hot in this one is going to be majority. Yes. Like no one's denying that. It's probably going to be 80% yeses. Yeah. That said, I think the character does factor in more for me in this particular role. And like Mm -hmm. the, the scene where he's like flirting, that's very good. The scene at the end I thought was actually very funny is like where he's looking and they're kissing on the beach. And he's like, I think they're talking about me now. Like that mm-hmm. was like, I was like, that's very good. But for the rest, there of was this- an amount of like charming in that scene. Yes. Yes. And that was what was lacking for him in the rest of the movie. However, the scene where he is like, here's why I did everything I did. Stop crying and go out with me tonight. He was repulsive right so i you know i might go with a no on this one you know i just gotta go with my gut on this one and say i didn't think he was uh this wasn't our best listen i wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers (laughs) even in this movie (laughs) you gotta show him you know your your leaky ceiling and then have it just splash on him and then it turns into Mm -hmm. One, yeah, of course, from wine there, one sex. I mean, if I'm gonna have sex with Kurt Russell anywhere, it's gonna be in a wine cellar. Yeah, one thing leads to another, and bada bing, bada boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I definitely would not marry him so that I couldn't testify against him, though. You wouldn't marry him so you wouldn't, so you couldn't testify, Michelle Pfeiffer can't testify against Mel Gibson because he's going to marry her. I re- She's going to marry him. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. And that's why he was like, don't worry, Raul Julia. We're going to get married and she can't legally testify against me. Yeah. Problem solved. Loophole. Okay. Yeah. I would not loophole Kurt Russell. <laughs> Out of context. I think that line's <laughs> going to be great. I might add that into is he hot in this one. I wouldn't loophole Kurt Russell. <laughs> boy perfect perfect market marked okay Uh, (laughs) i think it's time let's get down to business let's press a button Uh, enough dilly dallying oh my gosh i am very ready so here we go figure it out asshole we're gonna find out who's who i mean i'd peg us at a d minus for this kind of thing Keeping you at a disadvantage is an advantage I intend to keep. Think you can win on talent alone? You don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. I honestly, I don't remember, okay? Ask about horses again, I'll slap you red. (laughs) Hey, that was fun! (laughs) I figured out what I really think is funny about that horses line is that I think technically that would be like us saying that to Charles. <laughs> like, <laughs> ask us about horses again. 
And I think that's really, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I gotta, I might have to cut it out of the, the song. I don't know. We'll see. Figure it out, asshole, is our very own quiz show where the host will ask each of us three questions. If one of us gets it wrong, the other participants have a chance to steal, assuming they remember the remaining answers. Uh, this, this, uh, we've had some very exciting rounds of, of this recently. So, you know, I hope this is no exception. Uh, so without further ado, let me introduce our master of ceremonies live from the void. It's Charles Nolan. Hello, everybody. Hello, Charles. Hey, Charles. I have no questions about horses today. <laughs> Excellent. Good. I don't know how the, the, I don't know what the logistics of slapping in the void are. I don't even know what, if that's even a possibility. So good. good. I would like to see you try. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. That's Kurt Russell talking, not me. I would like to see Kurt Russell try. <laughs> I would, I would pay to watch that movie. You got to find the void before you can slap in it. That's what I always say. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a non sequitur. I just it doesn't. <laughs> Can we get that on a T-shirt? <laughs> oh my god! Yes, I will add it to the list. Oh my god. It's exciting. Are the two of you ready to play some figure it out, asshole? Yes. Very much. Very much. Great. Well, let's start off. Question number one to Whitney. Mm. What Bobby Darren song plays over the opening credits? Was it Artificial Flowers, Beyond the Sea, Mac the Knife, or Dream Lover? Beyond the Sea? That is correct. Can we talk about... Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Uh, figure it out, asshole. But interrupt the away. Song, the song Artificial Flowers is literally the wildest song I've ever heard in my life. And I will go to my grave making people aware of how weird the song Artificial Flowers is. It is buck wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a poor girl who is orphaned and makes artificial flowers for rich women. And she ends up dying in a tenement with the window open and freezing to death. And she goes to heaven where there's no artificial flowers. They're only real flowers. Huh. That's what the song is about. It's very jazzy. It's a very jazzy, like Rat Pack sort of upbeat song. But the lyrics are about this girl dying, making accessories for rich women it's wild anyway <laughs> i was correct it's beyond the sea <laughs> incredible uh -huh. moving on to andrew <laughs> <laughs> in what year were nick and mac arrested for violating curfew oh, 1963 1964 1965 or 1966? 1965. That is incorrect. God damn it. 1964? That is incorrect. Uh oh. Oh no. 
I haven't played that sound in a while. <laughs> the correct answer was 1963. Mm. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Whitney. What is Mac's house number? Is it 126, 375, 646, or 822? Oh, God damn it. 822. That is correct. Wow. Nicely done. That was just wild guessing. (laughs) Wild guesses count. Yeah, with (laughs) confidence, though. It's a wild guess with confidence. Very impressive. (laughs) Moving on to Andrew. Okay. Which of these actors was never in talks to play the role of Nick? We have Nick Nolte, Harrison Ford, Gary Busey, and Alec Baldwin. Oh my god. Uh, Those are all wild. But honestly, a better fit than Kurt Russell. I'm going to go with Harrison Ford on this one. That is incorrect. God damn it. I'm going to go with Baldwin. That is incorrect. I love that sound. (laughs) It's very obvious. The correct answer was Gary Busey. You know, that makes sense. Makes sense. Does it, though? I feel like Gary Busey in Point Break is basically Kurt Russell in this movie, but like (laughs) on a different level. Two meatball subs. And Nick Nolte in 48 Hours is basically Kurt Russell in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wild. Moving on to Whitney. What was the estimated street value of the drug bust Max saw on the news? Was it 7 million, 17 million, 27 million, or 37 million? I don't even remember him seeing a drug bust on the news. <laughs> 17 million. That is incorrect. Shit. <laughs> I have zero right now. 37 million. You continue to have zero. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. It was 27 million. God damn it. <laughs> Moving on to Andrew. Okay. Joanne's license plate is the number two, and then three letters, and then the numbers three, two, one. What? <laughs> what are those three letters? Oh my God! <laughs> are they K V R, F A N, M E L, or M A C? Um, K V R. That is incorrect. Bitch. M A L. M A L was yeah. not one of the options. <laughs> but either way, it would have been incorrect. 
<laughs> the correct answer was F A N. Oh my God, Whitney. Well, there you go. I haven't been, I haven't been necessarily void. keeping score, but I, it, we've played the void sound a lot so far. This is dangerous. Yes. K V R R Kurt Russell's initials. Check. What's For the Kurt Vogel Russell? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. that's a good name. Good strong name. Moving on to Whitney. <sighs> what nickname does Mac call Joanne that upsets her? Oh, I know, I know. Well, then, by all means. <laughs> it's slick. It is slick. Nicely done. Oh, I got real nervous about ruining it for Andrew, but I knew what it was. <laughs> I never, ever would have gotten it. <laughs> I'm so happy you did. So there you go. The other options were doll, babe, or pal. Yeah. Okay. Whew. For the final question of regulation, figure it out, asshole. Andrew. Okay. What brand trailer does Mac have in his backyard? God damn it. Is it Grand Design, Winnebago, Airstream, or Oliver Travel? Uh. <laughs> Airstream. That is correct. <laughs> Yay. I got one. You're on the board. All right. Now, as we move into the bonus round, which has three questions, our score is currently Andrew, one. Whitney, three. Void, four. Oh, no, Whitney. No, 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 no. <laughs> you have to save us. For our bonus round, questions are not posed to any one player. Instead, players buzz in to correctly guess the answer. Let's hear everybody's buzzer sound, starting with Whitney. Me. And moving on to Andrew. Bzz. Fantastic. Bonus round question number one. Pat Riley, LA Lakers head coach at the time, was offered a role in this movie, but had to turn it down. What? Which role was he offered? Was it Mac, Carlos, Hal, or Nick? Um, me? Whitney, you sound very sure. <laughs> Nick? That is correct. Nicely done. Oh, okay. All right. All right. The whole Thank character goodness of Nick's I grew up appearance. in Los Angeles and know anything about anything about sports in Los Angeles. <laughs> Because if it had literally been the coach of anywhere else, I would not have known who that was. They, they based Nick's appearance off of Pat Riley since he was unable to be in the movie. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Very. Moving on to bonus round question number two. What are the initials on Nick's ring? Hmm. Are they... R-B-H-S, R-O-H-S, R-U-H-S, or R-F-H-S? <sighs> uh, 
Um, mm. Andrew. I remembered RBHS. You remembered incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of the other options. What did you say, Andrew? R-B? I did. R-O-H-S. That is incorrect. (gasps) (laughs) It was R-U-H-S for Redondo Union High School. Damn it. I remembered Redondo in high school. (laughs) But I didn't remember the union. For potentially the final question. Uh oh. Ever. No oh boy. I'll figure it out, asshole. <laughs> Which crew member was replaced after just 10 days on set? Oh. Was it Dorothy Pearl, makeup artist? Dave Cass, second unit director? Rick Simpson, set decorator? Or Jost Vacano, cinematographer. Ooh, me. Whitney. I'm just going to say Jost Vacano because it's fun. It is very fun to say and is also correct. What? Oh, yay. Jost Vacano. All right. <laughs> oh, I literally only picked it because I wanted to say Jost Vacano. Yeah, those are <laughs> that's a fun name. It's a great name. <laughs> now, I will say... That we have an unprecedented situation right now. No, no. And that is that Whitney is tied with the void. (gasps) Does that hold the void at bay? A tie? Does it? I believe the the void would need to win outright. Oh, all right. Which means we need to have a tiebreaker. (laughs) No, boy. How does this work? Oh. How does this work indeed? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, do do I ask a tiebreaker? I, uh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, let's do that. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Charles, is it safe to assume that you know the uh, uh, budget of this film or no? Or I would say it's safe to assume that. Yes. Okay. Let's see what we can come up with here on the fly. <laughs> this is a lot. Um, I'm I'm worried. Um, I am too. Why did you offer to do this? Because I, I, <laughs> I, I, how else? How else would we do a tiebreaker? I don't know. Can't I just win because I'm people and not a void? Am I not a person? <laughs> Are you? I don't think we've got time for me to go into an existential <laughs> crisis. <laughs> I do think opening weekend numbers are probably out there somewhere, and that I do I not have, know. Okay, I have that. I, all right, so, okay, okay, so, all right. Price is right rules. 
Oh, God. I'm so bad at Price is Right rules. Right. Okay. All right. Yes. Price is Right rules. Uh, Okay. So I pressed the button. It's been 600 years since I've been on this side of the questions. <clears throat> the opening You've never week- been on this side of the questions. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's been more than 600. It's never happened. It's, it, it's absolutely correct. All right. Uh, Price is Right rules. We I need the opening weekend U.S. and Canada box office number for this film. I want to just keep in mind, this is a hint for both of you. Not a hint. Just keep this in mind. December 4th, 1988. Give me your guess. Highest without going over. I will say... 7 million. Okay. Whitney? 5 million. Whitney goes with 5 million. Charles goes with 7 million. The correct answer is 6.3 million, which means Whitney has held the void in Yes! Oh my God. You're welcome, world. Uh, I'm going to press this. You were meant to be here tonight. Oh, oh. My God. This was the closest we've come to complete. I, I don't. We know. don't even know. I complete. Complete what? Something. We have no idea. Charles what will not when tell the void us. Wins. <laughs> but it is not today, friends, and that is thanks to me, Whitney, your hero. Thank you. Good night. That sounded. That was a very good speech with this music in the back. I enjoyed yeah, that quite was, a bit. I felt really great. <laughs> I felt good. Oh my gosh. That was incredibly dramatic. <laughs> in the best way. <laughs> we can. I think we'll clean up a little bit of. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> There was a little yeah. bit of fumbling yeah. on my part there, but I, I think it added to the the panic that I was feeling. Truly, well, I I think it made it real uh, <laughs> for people how how dire the situation was. It's literally never happened before. <laughs> With two players, four choices might be a little bit unfair. No, I mean, hey, <laughs> I like to, I like to, I like the. Uh, the challenge of it. It's, uh, yeah, I, I got one. I suck. <laughs> that is true. The final score was Andrew one, <laughs> Void five, Whitney six. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Oh. I did it. Incredible. Incredible. And now we move on to figure it out audience where the audience gets to play at home. I'll ask two questions, and you can tweet to me at the Nolan T H E N O W L I N on Twitter, or drop your answers in the Discord. And if you're right, you'll get shouted out on a future episode of the Kurt Locker. Oh yeah! Figured out audience question number one. Keen listeners will already have heard this being discussed in this episode. What kind of pasta does Joanne offer to send to Cody after his surfboard accident? 
Ooh, I gave it away. You don't even need to watch the movie to get this one right. <laughs> you did, so I'm taking two points away from you. No! no. Boy, wait, no. I cannot do that. The transaction nope. has already been completed. I already won. I already gave a heroic speech. It's true. We're done. Figure it out, audience. Question number two. What was the call sign that Mac used for his boat as he was approaching Pier 17 towards the end of the film? Hmm. Tweet your guesses to me or send them to me in our Discord. And if you're right, you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. You know, sometimes I think I watch the movie and then... Charles asks me a bunch of questions and I'm like, mm -hmm. maybe I didn't watch the movie. <laughs> that happens to me literally every time we play figure that <laughs> asshole. I'm like, oh, dip. I wasn't paying attention. at all. It, yeah. It's like the, uh, you know, those like old 3D puzzles where you like relax your eyes and another image appears. I feel like that's how Charles watches every movie. And I'm still trying to just like, where is the shape that I'm supposed to be seeing? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It also does take me one and a half to two times the length of the movie to watch and create the trivia. Oh, I see. I see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and for that, we Fair thank enough. you because it we is an incredible amount of work. So thank it you. It is. And thank it's also the so best much. part of the podcast. So 100%. we're in your debt. Very kind of you to say. I think, is he hot in this one, is my favorite part of the podcast. <laughs> oh. Certainly has a great, great theme song. We will say that. <laughs> this is true. Thank you so much for having me. This is always so much fun. Likewise. I bid you a good void, Charles, and we'll catch you on the next one. Indeed, a good void to you as well. <laughs> Soon. Oh, no. No. It always gets a little ominous there. Towards the end sometimes. <laughs> All right, Whitney. Yeah. I think this is yours. I think I think you do this one, right? Or I Is that what we decided? <laughs> I'm good either way, but it's up to, it's completely up to you. It's a really long Wikipedia plot line. Yeah. Surprising. I mean it is a surprising Just FYI. It's a convoluted film. None of it is this serious. And none of it is worth paying attention to. So okay. I'm going to tell you what happens in the movie. Yeah. If But definitely don't watch it. Okay. Uh, spoiler alert. I do not recommend this movie. <gasps> okay. Okay. Dale Mac McCusick is played by Mel Gibson, is a former drug dealer trying to go straight. His close friend, Nick Frisia... Like the flower, right? Even though it's spelled different? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Is a detective lieutenant with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department who, in spite of their long-term relationship, going all the way back to high school, is duty-bound to bring Mac to justice if he is selling drugs again, as DEA agent Hal McGuire believes to be the case. Mac is attracted to stylish restaurant owner Joanne Valinari, who is played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Nick becomes acquainted with Joanne while attempting to learn more about Mac's activities, in particular his relationship with the Mexican drug kingpin Carlos, 
whom the DEA agents and Mexican Federal Police Comandante Escalante believe is coming to town. Mm-hmm. Mac has a legitimate business and is raising a son, trying to distance himself from his former former drug smuggling ways. But he tries to help his lawyer sell some cocaine and feels indebted to his old friend Carlos, who is pressuring Mac to do one last job. Yeah. Which is why he can't just get out of it. So, Michelle Pfeiffer, Joanne, succumbs to Nick Kurt Russell's charms and a love affair begins. Nick genuinely cares for Joanne, but she becomes angry when Mac accuses her of spying on him on Nick's behalf. She's very much the middle of this, like, friendship of who who is betraying whom. Yeah. During a meeting at Joanne's restaurant with McGuire and Escalante to discuss Mac and Carlos, Escalante gives Nick a ceremonial pistol as a gesture of good faith. Joanne then accuses Nick of using her to gather information on Mac because he often eats at her restaurant and hired her to cater his son's birthday party. Nick admits he's investigating Mac and that he originally approached her because of that, but he truthfully admits that he has really fallen in love with her. Joanne ends her relationship with Nick for his initial deception after catching him trying to listen in on a private telephone conversation. Mm -hmm. That's false, Wikipedia. She does not officially end anything with anyone. (laughs) She begins another thing. But yeah. that's not Meanwhile, the same. McGuire and his associates set a trap for Mac and the mysterious Carlos, whose face none of them except Mac have ever seen. In time, Joanne realizes that Mac is in love with her and she has fallen for him. Nick figures out that Mac's cousin Greg is an informer for the DEA. Nick also realizes that McGuire has become dangerously obsessed with catching Mac, willing to use any means necessary. Mac and Joanne make love at his house, apparently for four hours. (laughs) Joanne is called to a restaurant on business. Nick meets her there, saying it wasn't actually on business, it was a ruse. He gives her a pistol, actually the same ceremonial pistol that he was given by Escalante to protect herself, and tells her to stay in the restaurant until a deputy until a deputy sheriff arrives to guard her because Carlos is expected to arrive at Mac's home later that night and Nick does not want her to get in the middle of whatever drug deal is happening. However, she does not heed Nick's warning and immediately turns around and goes to Mac's house where she discovers that Escalante, the Mexican federal agent, is actually Carlos, (gasps) the major drug kingpin. Oh no. We knew it the whole time. We did. Carlos Escalante. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Carlos relieves her of Nick's pistol, recognizes it as the pistol that he gave, and then takes her to his yacht at the marina. He knows that Greg, the cousin, is the informer and has him killed, leaving his body next to a shipment of gasoline-contaminated cocaine. McGuire and Nick find Greg's body and the cocaine at the beach. Nick meets with Mac to warn him that Joanne is in danger. Mac pulls a gun on Nick and rushes to the marina. Carlos pressures him to kill Joanne because she now knows too much. Mac refuses, threatens Carlos at at gunpoint, and gets Joanne to safety on a speedboat. 
Mac nevertheless promises Carlos that he will be at the rendezvous site as arranged to conclude their business. Nick explains to McGuire that Escalante is actually Carlos and heads to the marina. Mac arrives first and is double-crossed by Carlos, whereupon a fight ensues between them. As they struggle over the pistol, it fatally just discharges into Carlos's abdomen, wounding Mac in the process. Carlos dies in Mac's arms. No. McGuire shows up and begins shooting just wildly. He, That's not in Wikipedia, but it is. There's no... There's there's not even a target for him. It's ridiculous. There's no there's no jurisdiction or law that protects him from just wildly shooting randomly into the <laughs> ether. Yeah. Anyway, he hit an already dead Carlos in the face. And then he's shooting at Mac. Is Mac is raising his hands to surrender and saying that he's unarmed and he wants to surrender himself. Keep shooting anyway. The gunfire causes the boat's fuel tank to catch fire, which Mac, this isn't in Wikipedia, but Mac had previously sabotaged the fuel line. Mm -hmm. So it, the boat had dumped all its fuel into the water. Just as Mac jumps in the water, Nick arrives at the marina. He hears the gunfire, draws his weapon, and orders McGuire to cease fire. But McGuire continues shooting, forcing Nick to shoot him in the back, killing him. Yeah. The fire causes the boat to explode, and with it, the $15 million on board. The story ends with Nick asking Joanne to meet him at the beach. She arrives to instead find Mac, running to embrace him in the waves. A please Nick watches from a distance. The end. <laughs> A pleased Nick watches from the distance. Yeah. Yikes. So the film is garbage. The synopsis is garbage. All of it's boring. I guess the people in it are charismatic enough. If it if it's a Sunday hangover movie. But like if that if our previous conversation didn't dissuade you and that Wikipedia summary didn't dissuade you, I don't know what can. But if you're like, if you've got COVID and you can't get off your couch and it's on TV, like, I guess don't turn off the TV. <laughs> That's my recommendation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. If this happens to come on Encore and your television is locked into Encore because your remote yeah, ran out of batteries. Yeah, if you've lost your remote <laughs> and your legs are broken, I guess watch it. Sure. <laughs> but under any other circumstances, maybe don't. Yeah. Uh, so that's not a recommend from either of us. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Whitney. Pretty curious where you're going to... Where you're going to... Uh, actually... Uh, you owe me one, uh, you owe me a rating, uh, and then, uh, then we can rate this one. I need to know where Overboard is going first. For reference, I put Overboard at 14, under the Barefoot Executive. That's too low for me. Overboard? Yeah. I don't know. Asia made some pretty compelling points. Um. <laughs> I mean, it's not a good movie. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I put it below the one with the monkey. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, that's a compelling point. <laughs> the one has a monkey, you see. One has a monkey, even though I hate movies with monkeys. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I think I'm actually going to put it between Follow Me Boys and Charlie and the Angel. All right. So that's your number 11 spot. Yeah. All right. Um, because, well, obviously it is a hugely problematic movie. I do think that we need more movies that tell the story of genuine connection is more important than success or other things. Like, it's so problematic, and I, I, I can't even get into all the layers of problematic, but the end thing of no amount of money can buy you people around you that love you and that you love is a fair point. Sure. And her outfits are incredible at the beginning. Yes. So. Agreed. I'm going to put it at 11. Between Follow Me Boys and Charlie and the Angels, slightly higher than you have it. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, <laughs> where are we putting Tequila Sunrise? Let's. It's a good question. Let's talk about this one. I think I'm going to put it under the monkey movie. <laughs> under the monkey movie. Uh-huh. I'm going to put it between the barefoot executive and guns in the heather. Okay. That puts it at number 14 for me. Uh, that feels pretty good. Um, I learned. How about you? I know how to spell. Hold on. All right. I've logged that. I'm actually going to put it right beneath overboard for me. So it's going to go at my number 15 okay, spot. 15. Yeah. So we're, we're on the same page with the quality of tequila sunrise. Yeah. There's this group of movies right here, starting with Mosby's Marauders, which wasn't at its core, a bad film. Um, but it was just uh, like really not, I, I don't, I would never like, I'm not going to go it watch it again. It was not rewatchable. Yeah. So like, yeah. Starting at Mosby's Marauders and then like Charlie and the Angel, Guns and the Heather, the best. Like, I'm not, go I'm never going to revisit those. So, technically, the bottom of my list, <laughs> Tequila Sunrise, is at the bottom of the list. I agree. Tequila Sunrise is also at the bottom of my list of movies that are rewatchable in any way, shape, or form. I'm not going to seek it out, but also like, I maybe would rewatch Tequila Sunrise, and I certainly would, and I don't ever plan on rewatching Guns in the Heather or The Fox and the Hound or Mosby's <laughs> Marauders. So, I have, I have, since watching The Fox and the Hound, it is maybe the movie that I have talked about the most when people, oh, yeah. when people ask me about the Kurt Locker, they're like, "Oh, well, you, you know, you, oh, you're doing Kurt Russell now." And you're like, "What's the what's the worst Kurt Russell movie you've watched?" And it is, I mean, I know that on my list, the one and only genuine original family band is dead last, right? It is still, to me, it's shocking how bad that movie was considering <laughs> that I enjoyed it so much as a child. What? Why? Yeah. I, <laughs> also, it's on my list twice. How did that happen? Uh, oh, that is interesting. I'm now looking at my list and now it's at number 19 and number 22. Uh-oh. We gotta we gotta do some. Oh wait, my my last few repeat. Did you just do that? Oh no, hold on. 
Let me go back here. The one and only, it goes the Guns of Diablo, the one and only genuine original family bad, Super Dad, Guns of Diablo, the one and only genuine original family bad. Oh no, what happened? I don't know. But I do want to make it clear that I have not seen the movie Super Dad, and and it is in last place. (laughs) Right, it's my second to last. Uh, More than any other film, the one that I can, can, the one that I can turn people on is the Fox and the Hound. I don't assume that anyone's ever seen Super Dad or Guns of Diablo or but mm-hmm. everybody I've talked to has seen The Fox and the Hound and they're like saw The Fox and the Hound like, as a child. Love yeah, this is a Disney classic. And I'm like you do not love that movie. No, you it do is not. a racist parable full of sadness. And you don't want it. You don't The moral of that story is stick to your own kind. And it's terrible. So, uh, that's the one. But again, this whole this whole bunch, it's just not, you know, not great. But the Fox and the Hound mm-hmm. is the one that I can tell people. And that's our that's my anchor. It's like you've seen it. I know you have. You probably think you like it. You don't. <laughs> it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'll get your list back in order. I can always roll back to a previous. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say I don't know. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if I did it or you did it. But we have some. Uh, we'll move on. Yeah, but that's fine. Uh, yeah, I can see I have our backups here, so I'll just roll back to a later time. Add it off, off, uh, offline, as it were. Let's talk next week. We're gonna walk through a film called Winter People. Sure. <laughs> Uh, I have no idea. Of course it is. I have no idea. I believe you. No clue. Never heard of it. I think we have finally, I mean, we took a li- we had like a little hiatus. And during that time, everyone else who was watching with us also took a little hiatus. And I think we finally caught up to at least Claire and her mom. So they have just watched Winter People. I mean, they're really, they're really our pace car. They are. And we have, in the last, you know, around the holidays and everything, things got crazy, end of the year, and we definitely fell behind Claire and, and Claire's mother. Um, we're starting to catch back up now. Yeah. But in the Discord, they posted a lovely photo of them wearing their Kurt Russell shirts. I blank Kurt it Russell. It is amazing. Uh, while they watched the movie. And that is great. I guess at some point I should mention we have shirts, <laughs> but I never remember to mention that. But well, we mentioned them before. They're not for profit. No, they're not. They are exclusively for fun. And I will say, while they are not for profit, uh, I'm not to say that we're a nonprofit. <laughs> we don't expect to make money off of right. them. Right. It's just a fun thing. The Keanu Reeves t-shirt is by far the most comfortable piece of clothing I own and I have now worn and washed it so much half of my Keanu Johns have worn off the shirt they're getting all crinkly like mine yeah I might have to and it's and it's not because of poor quality it's because it is literally the single most worn piece of clothing (laughs) I have yeah it's great I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to get some, I'll, I'll get some new ones shipped out. Um, and maybe you get, I'll send the Kurt one to you as well. Uh, cause it's a good one too. And then it is a good one, but yeah. But anyway, the quality is very good. The fabric is very soft. The printing is great. They are a delight. Get a shirt. If you get a shirt, if you want one, it's literally, they tell me 
because when you set the prices, they're like, we recommend you price it at this and you'll like, you'll make $5 and 63 cents. And I'm like, I want to make zero. I, I set it to, I make zero. zero. And they're like, we don't recommend this. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> care. It's like, I like Tommy Lee Jones. Like, I don't care. Like you just throw it. Like that's basically how I feel about it. Like this is for the love of the game. Right. And no one is going to pay $38 for a hoodie. Well, I mean, people would, I mean, you would, but I don't want, I'd like, I but want, we don't want, you I want to. you to buy, I would rather people have the hoodies instead of like, mm-hmm. you know, agonize have over a retail markup. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I can't even think of a clothing store. <laughs> I was like, I'm not, uh, urban outfitters done. There you go. <laughs> I was like, who traditionally marks shit up way too uh, high. It's fine. Yeah. But the Keanu shirt is all of the, it's like all of the Johns that Keanu has played, John Constantine, John Wick, yeah. et cetera. So good. It's great. I love it. Uh, and then the Kurt Russell shirt says, I blank. There's like an underline, Kurt Russell. Yeah. So you can fill in, fill in, in the words there. Uh, both are charming and delightful, and maybe we're, we have a new one after this episode, according to Charles. <laughs> I think we have maybe at least two, based on just oh some of your non sequiturs. <laughs> I'm like, oh I think boy. we'll just take them out of context and pop them on a shirt. You know, <laughs> something about got to get into the void before slapping the. I don't know something. <laughs> got to reach the void, oh, reach into boy. it. I don't know. Anyway, find the void before you can slap in the void. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> Whitney, this has been delightful. It has. Where can people uh, find and keep up with you on the internet if they uh, this isn't en- if this isn't mm-hmm. enough Whitney for someone, where might they find you? And that's totally understandable. <laughs> How much Whitney is enough Whitney for people is the real question. Um so I'm not even going to say Twitter because I don't I'm not on Twitter any I have a Twitter, but don't worry about it. Instagram at Whitney Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N is probably the best place to, to keep up with my antics. My current antics are I have started teaching my dog to talk with buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, if you follow any Billy the cat or Bunny the dog or Stella the dog, etc., etc., those are the biggest names. But like if you follow any animals who use buttons to say things, I have just started teaching my dog that Incredible. and we have also we are now officially participants in the UC San Diego study of teaching animals to talk with buttons. I have to report biweekly on our progress. So wow, it is it is studious as well as my the only thing I do in my spare time. So buddy buttons. Yeah, I don't have anything really. I posted one thing like one time of him pushing the treat button with his nose. We're just starting, so I don't have a ton to post there. But I also post pictures of food and sometimes my face. So follow me on Instagram. Right. Instagram. You can definitely hear Buddy crying in the background. I just heard him. I just heard him. Yeah. (laughs) He's so sad that I am in a room away from him. He's like, why have you done this? What have you done? Why did you do an abandon? <laughs> we'll get you back to Buddy real quick. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on the internet at Dark Driving. 
that would be Twitter and Instagram. And uh, most recently, a uh, frequent guest of ours, Eric Hall, and I are wrapping up uh, Rewatch, which is our Resident Evil podcast. Mm. It's a visual pun. It's not a great name for a podcast because, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's it, it, Rewatch is not a good name. It's just not you do a Google search for re, Rewatch podcast and tell me where we rank. Not up page 7000, I'd say. However. Uh, this has actually inspired me to uh, potentially do something on Twitch as well, where I, I would just simply call this series uh, Replay, where I just play the games and stream myself playing the games. Fun. I love the Resident Evil series deeply. As bad as they mm -hmm. get, I still love the games and the movies. So uh, uh, Twitch, I'm also a, at Dark Driving. Take a peek there. Give me a follow. Uh, I might start streaming that pretty soon. I'm just going to do them chronologically. Start at Resident Evil Zero and go all the, all the way to eight. Um, and th that's not nine games. That's actually, there's like uh, 14 in there somehow. So do that. Come on over. Let's go. Let's hang out on Twitch. It'll be great. That's it. We did it. It's done. It's over. Um, where's my button? You're welcome and goodbye. Oh. Here's the button. <laughs> oh, my God. Good night and good luck, says Whitney. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. And in the immortal words of Jack Burton, sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. Once again, we have exceeded the runtime of the movie. God damn it. We, I mean, we went off on some wild <laughs> tangents, like did, pretty early. My, my, one, my one ideal for this podcast is to, at the very least, match the runtime of the movie. <laughs> We're not doing so good at that these yeah, days. Yeah, we can, I mean, we can chop this. I mean, some of this stuff could, I could like set aside some of our tangents and then literally form an entire bonus episode of tangents. <laughs> I think I might try that, that actually. I think we have, that's interesting. We too. have enough.